Hey everyone, thank you for uh, letting us into your space today and being here with us. We're glad you're here. We have a lot of things going on at Christ Community and we would love for you to be a part of it. Um, if you want to get connected, please head over to our website, go to our coming up page and you can see all the different areas where you can get connected. Also like and subscribe so more of this content comes into your feed. And if you are listening on our podcast, please be sure to subscribe on the podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. Hello, Christ community. So glad you're here and all those who are joining us um, online. We're in the midst of a teaching series where we are walking through the book of 1 Corinthians and we find ourselves in the section in chapters 8 through 10 where Paul is focusing on this question, how can we as Christ followers not be negatively influenced by our culture, but instead be influencers for Jesus in our culture? And that's a really important question that meets us in the everyday places in our lives. This isn't about stuff that happens in church or in a worship service like this. No, this is about the choices we're making outside of a church context. This is about how we're living our life Sunday afternoon or Monday morning or Friday night. What does it look like to follow Jesus and to thrive spiritually in all the spaces and places that we find ourselves in, in a culture like ours? So what Paul does in this final section of chapter 10 is he gives us some really practical, we're going to get really practical here, practical guidance in terms of the choices we're making about how we live our lives and how we spend our time. What, what Paul is talking about here is a major theme throughout the entire Bible. It's the theme of wisdom, wisdom, living with wisdom. So look at how he introduces this next section, verse 15, 1 Corinthians 10. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Notice this word sensible literally means to be wise. It means to be prudent. So Paul is calling these Corinthian believers and us to walk in wisdom and discernment, which is so needed in our society today. There are so many agendas and ideas and philosophies and voices that, that are promoting various things and potentially influencing us to do or believe certain things. And what Paul is saying here is that we desperately need to walk in wisdom or we're going to be shaped by and negatively influenced by our culture. So how do we walk in wisdom? Well, what Paul does in, in the remaining part of chapter 10 is he gives us a powerful and easily accessible filter that all of us can use, a filter to use in our everyday lives so that we are making choices that will help us thrive. Now, this filter can be articulated by five critical questions to ask ourselves regarding the things that we're doing and participating in. And these questions are especially important in those areas in our lives where maybe we feel stuck or we just feel unsettled about something. And we need wisdom and discernment to see if the Holy Spirit is saying something to us about that. First question, five questions. First question to help us walk in wisdom and discernment in the midst of a culture like ours. Is this activity helpful for me personally? So we find this principle in verse 23 of this chapter. Look at verse 23. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. See, as Paul has been doing throughout this section of the letter, he's continually reminding us of our freedom in Christ. So often people completely miss the heart of Christianity. 
And they think that Christianity is about rules and, and trying to earn God's acceptance and God's favor and all that. It's not. No, it is rooted in a savior who already did the heavy lifting. He already paid the price for our sins. So because of that, we are free from legalism and rules and religious rituals and worrying about what other people think of us and this fear of not measuring up. We are free to eat and to drink and to play and to love and to enjoy and to celebrate. But, Paul is saying, even though we have the right to do anything, not everything is beneficial to us. Just because we can doesn't mean we ought to. Our freedom needs to be accompanied by wisdom. Not everything we are free to do is going to be helpful to us in our walk with Jesus. There are times where Aileen and I like to watch this particular sitcom before we go to sleep. You know, sometimes we just need to laugh at uh, a break or whatever. But there have been seasons in our lives when we would have been helped more by taking that time to pray together or to talk through some things. See, for all of us, I think the Holy Spirit is often nudging us in a particular direction as it relates to something we're doing. And the question is, are we paying attention to that nudge? Is this thing, this activity helpful to me in this season in my life? Just because we are free in Christ to watch some Netflix series doesn't mean that that series is helpful to us in terms of the violence or the language it plants in our head or the sexual themes that cause our mind to head down a pathway of lust or how it keeps us up late so we don't get the rest and the sleep that we need. So then the next morning, we're trying to spend time with Jesus and we keep falling asleep the whole time because we're so tired. Is it so tired? So tired. Is that show, is that show that we were watching, is that show that we were free to watch, is it actually helping us become the person that we want to be? Just because we are free in Christ to watch YouTube videos or listen to various podcasts or to place a bet on a football game or peruse social media on our phone doesn't mean that that activity is spiritually or emotionally beneficial to us. So with regard to the activities that we're involved in, Paul is urging us to honestly be asking, what is the fruit in my life of this activity or this television series or this music that I listen to? Is this helpful for me? in my relationship with Jesus. If we know it's not helpful, Paul's like, don't do it. This isn't, that's not legalism talking. That, that, that's wisdom. It's wisdom. This is about us making choices that result in a benefit to us personally, relationally, spiritually. Okay, second critical question. To help us walk in wisdom in the midst of a spiritually dangerous culture, will this activity open a door to demonic influences in my life. So beginning in verse 16, Paul shifts gears a bit. He's, he, he brings up a, a topic that he had raised initially in chapter 8, but now he goes at it from a little different angle. Verse 16, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No, but the, here he's getting to his point, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. 
You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Okay, so what's happening here is that Paul is very concerned that a particular behavior of the Corinthians is actually opening a door to the demonic influence, influence in their lives, to demonic influence, and they don't realize it. Like, this is a big deal. They're opening a door and they don't realize it. Now, what was happening was related to temple worship. As we talked about in chapter eight a few weeks ago, in the city of Corinth, there were temples everywhere. Every street corner, there were temples to various gods. And these temples were not just places of religious ritual. They were also places of social gathering. They were sort of like breweries, okay? So it was not uncommon for believers in Jesus to either eat a meal at a temple to another god, or that it, and, and, and at that meal, they would eat food sacrificed to an idol, or, you know, or to actually just meet other people and to have a meal at a temple. That was not unusual. And as Paul has asserted throughout this whole section, they are absolutely free in Christ to do that. In fact, just a few verses later, Paul will say, verse 25, eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. Okay, so you're free to do this, but that's not what's going on here. Paul is making a very important distinction between having a meal at a temple versus participating in some religious ritual at that temple. This is where Paul draws a hard line. Paul is saying, you are free in Christ to eat meat that has been sacrificed to an idol. But do not, I repeat, do not, Paul says, participate in any way in the sacrifices in that temple. Why? Because there is something spiritually significant happening in that participation. So in order to make his argument... Paul raises the issue of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, which we participate in once a month here. Paul mentions how in the Lord's Supper, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, it's more than simply a religious ritual. We are participating with Jesus and each other in a some supernatural, mysterious way whenever we partake of the Lord's Supper. So Paul is saying when you participate in some religious ritual at a temple, you are actually, you're actually participating with demons, you are opening yourself up to demonic influence, which brings us back to the question we need to be asking regarding any activity we participate in in a culture like ours. Will this activity open a door to demonic influences in my life? This is an area that most Christ followers don't even think about. We, we, we don't even consider this as a possibility, but this is real. This is real. For example, I think we need to be very discerning about the organizations we join. Are there oaths involved? Are there secret rituals involved? I think of things like Freemasonry, where in the limited research I've done, there seem to be certain rituals and oaths that are taken by participants, oaths, oaths that don't align with Christ as Lord. Again, I don't know what happens behind closed doors of organizations like the Masons, but I do know that we as Christians need to be discerning and wise so that we are not opening a door for the enemy. And there, there are obvious things like horoscopes, seances, trying to contact the dead, astral projection. These are all things that are tied to the occult. They are not harmless things. 
Oh, we're just playing with an Ouija board. It's just fun. These are not harmless things. The Bible makes it clear that there is a real spirit world all around us and not every spirit is from God. We need to have our guard up so that we're not opening ourselves up to any demonic spirit. I remember as a kid, I think I was about 10 years old, going over to my friend's house. They were doing a seance in in my friend's house. I had no idea. As a 10-year-old, I had no idea what what I was walking into. But then when I, sometime, some years later, I, I was praying through these things, and that came to my mind, I realized how serious that was. I renounced that in prayer, any participation in that. These seemingly innocuous things are not innocuous. Paul is urging us to evaluate these things through this, the, 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 through this lens, to evaluate through this lens the things that we're doing, the places that we're visiting, the books we're reading, the videos we're watching, the spiritual ideas we're embracing. Just because a book or a podcast is using spiritual language doesn't mean it's from God. We need to be discerning or we may be opening up doors in our lives for demonic spirits to be at work. Now, look, I'm not talking about living in fear, but I am talking about living in wisdom in discernment and not participating in activities that could open a door for demonic influence in our lives. Now, the good, the good news is Jesus has given us authority to remove from our lives any evil spirits that we have allowed to gain a foothold. So if, if, if we're concerned, if you're concerned that we may, you maybe have opened a door to the enemy, we can just take that to Jesus. In, in any, anytime I'm afraid, you know, not afraid, but anytime I think, oh, I'm, that activity maybe or something from my past bring, bring, comes to mind, I just, anytime we're concerned about that, just take it to Jesus. So in prayer, you can simply say, I confess, Lord, I confess my involvement in this activity and I ask for your forgiveness. And now I bring the blood of Christ between me and any evil spirits that attach themselves to me through that activity. In Jesus' name, amen. You can do that. We have the authority of Christ to do that. So you, you can tell in Paul's words, this is really serious stuff. It's really serious. We can open doors to the enemy by the things that we participate in. So again, we need to be discerning. We need to be wise in terms of the activities and the information that we're allowing into our lives. Third critical question Paul raises in terms of how to walk in wisdom in the midst of a spiritually dangerous culture like ours, is this activity beneficial to others? Is this activity beneficial to other people? One of the key themes that Paul has been reiterating throughout this whole section of scripture is the idea that our freedom in Christ always takes a backseat to love. And as I've been saying over and over again in this section here, this is a significant paradigm shift for many Christians in America. We sort of assume that our personal freedoms are at the top of the list in terms of God's values. But according to Paul, that's not biblical. That's not a reflection of God's heart or his kingdom. In the kingdom of God, love is always the highest value. So anytime our personal freedom collides with love, love wins. Anytime our freedom collides with love, love has to win. It needs to win if we're aligning ourselves with the kingdom. Verse 23, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, 
but the good of others. See, this is huge. Paul is saying, in Christ, I have the freedom, I have the right to do pretty much anything that isn't a sin. But that doesn't mean that whatever I do in my freedom would actually be beneficial to other people. It doesn't mean that, my, that, that, that would actually build up and edify other people. Our actions are to be governed by love, which Paul defines here. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. That's what love looks like. Seeking the good of others above our own desires, our own agenda. So here's how he summarizes this at the end of this passage. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many. Paul lived his life by this principle of love, continually asking, are my actions benefiting others? This, I wasn't, I just, this came to my mind. It's probably a bad, maybe it's a bad example. I don't know. But I remember years ago, someone walked into our, our worship service with a big, shofar um, and sat on the front row. And I'm like, what is he going to do with that thing? Um, a shofar is like this big old horn thing. And, uh, I, and I asked him and he was going to blow into it, you know, in the middle of our worship service. And, and I was like, hey, you know, that may not be <laughs> um, the, the, the most loving thing to do because the minute you blow on that, people are going to wonder if is is this building, you know, coming down? What is happening? You know, all of that. And so I was trying to have this conversation with them. What's the, you have the freedom in Christ to do that. But what's the loving thing to do? <laughs> Would that be loving for 90% of people who don't know what a shofar is? They've never heard it. They don't understand the symbolism. And it would not be beneficial. It would distract them from actually worshiping God because they were wondering, what the heck is that sound? So that's the kind of thing where our freedom and, our, and, and, our, and love sometimes collide and wisdom would always be asking, I have the freedom in Christ to do this, but is it beneficial? So Paul lived his life by this principle of love, continually asking, are my actions going to be benefiting others? He said that throughout these chapters. So here's a practical example I've been thinking about. I've noticed over the past few years an increase in Christians using swear words, just in normal conversation. And I put the S word and the F word in this category. Now, at some level, I think a Christ follower is free to use words like that. But here's the question. Does it benefit the people around us? Is it loving? Does it edify? Does it help point people to Jesus? And if not, Paul would be like, why use it? See, for Paul... To live in wisdom, it's not legalism. It is being willing to evaluate our words, our actions through the lens of love. Is this activity beneficial to others around me? Now, there's a specific example of this that Paul gives in verses 27 and 28. Here he says this. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. Okay, so Paul seems to be saying, if you're eating a meal at someone's house, they're not a believer in Jesus, you're eating a meal at their house, feel free to eat whatever is put before you without asking about it. 
You know, uh, just if you don't know, you're not held accountable for what you don't know. So don't ask about it. You are free in Christ to do that. But if someone, and commentators aren't sure on who this someone actually is, there are various opinions, but if someone, it's, it, it seems to be a Christ follower, happens to tell you, Psst, hey, that meat that you're about to eat, it's been sacrificed at a temple. Then Paul says, then don't eat it for the sake of their conscience, that the person who told you, not your conscience, this isn't about your conscience, it's about their conscience. And this gets back to chapter eight, where Paul urges us to not cause another believer to stumble. Even though we're free in Christ to do something, Paul said, don't do something that's going to be spiritually harmful for someone else. We already talked about that weeks ago. But then Paul says something here that's very confusing. Um, Look at verse 29, next verse. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because of something I thank God for. Seems to me like Paul is just contradicting what he, is, he just said. <laughs> he's, he's saying the opposite of what he just said. He told this person, don't eat for their conscience. But now he's saying, why, why is my freedom being judged and all that? Uh, so what is happening here? Well, none of the scholars that I looked at have any idea. Uh, they're, they're really, they're, they're just, they, none of them made an, offered an explanation that made any sense to me. But I have an idea that I, about what I think is going on here. This is just my opinion. The Greek language at the time Paul was writing, it didn't use quotation marks. It didn't use quotation marks. So at various times in this book, interpreters have to guess when Paul is quoting something the Corinthians are saying and when it's actually his own thinking. He's expressing his own thoughts. So for instance, we already read this, verse 23. Look at this again. I have the right, in quotes, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. Notice the NIV translation puts the first phrase in quotes. They're not there in the Greek because they don't have quotes in the Greek, but they put them there. And then the NIV adds, you say, because they're wanting to set this line apart from Paul's thinking. But that wasn't in the original Greek. That was an interpretive decision, which is totally okay. Interpreters do this all the time. And that's a part of Bible interpretation. Okay. So, Here's my thought. In light of that reality, because verse 29 and 30 just seemed to be so out of the blue and they just contradicted what Paul was saying a moment ago. Here's, my, here's what I think. Where Paul's articulating the reaction of someone hearing the advice to not eat meat and they respond with, why is my freedom being judged by another? To which Paul responds, I think, I think that's a quote. I think it's a quote. He's quoting someone else. He's anticipating their reaction to what he just said. And that leads to the fourth question. We can help to help us walk in wisdom in the midst of a spiritually dark world. Leads right into the fourth question. Am I bringing God glory in this activity? Does this activity, this decision, these words that I'm about to say, this purchase, this thing I'm about to buy, does this bring glory to God? Now, this is a really significant question. Uh, I mean, uh, in fact, look at how Paul articulates this. Really interesting verse, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, that's an amazing challenge. I mean, what a life-changing, life-challenging and changing question to ask before we participate in anything. Will this bring glory to God? Which raises another question. 
what does that mean? Christians use glory all the time. Oh, glory to God. But do we know what it means? It's kind of overused in Christian circles and it's sort of this ethereal word, but we don't really, I don't know if, if we talk, you know, ask, how would you define giving God glory? Be like, oh, I don't know. I use it, but I don't know. I don't know if we know what it means on a practical level. When we're in a worship service, yeah, we bring God glory by singing praise to him. Okay, we get that. But how do we bring God glory in our eating and our drinking? It's a great question to explore. Great question for your small group if you're doing these questions, if you're looking this together. But how, how do we bring God glory in the everyday, ordinary things in our lives? Well, let me take a stab at this to get us thinking. To bring God glory means to elevate him in our awareness, right? To bring God glory, I mean, he's, he's being glorified in the sunset tonight. He's being glorified in the mountains. But for me to bring God glory, I am elevating him in my awareness of him. That brings him glory. It's by welcoming him into every activity and allowing him to have our attention and our focus. That is what brings him glory. So, for instance, how in light of that, how do we eat for God's glory? Well, do we pause to give him thanks for his provision or do we just jump in to satiate our hunger? Do we recognize the blessing of having food when a lot of people in the world do not have any food? Do we turn the TV off and actually have a conversation as a family? Do we clean the table together as a family? Or what about drinking? Do we savor the cup of coffee that we're drinking? Do we savor the relationships that surround us as we drink this beverage? See, Paul's point seems to be that pretty much anything can be done for God's glory if in the activity we are intentionally aware of his presence and we're cultivating gratitude to him. So what would happen if in every area of our lives, our work, our recreation, our child's activities, our school classes, our engagement in a worship service, what if we were continually asking, how can I bring God glory in this activity? And then we let his spirit show us. That would be pretty amazing. Really, this would be life-changing. I have a feeling our work would take on a whole new dimension as we begin to consciously welcome God's presence into our truck deliveries or our classroom or our office. I have a feeling our leisure activities are our, you know, our, our, would take on a whole new dimension as we ask God, how can I welcome your presence into this pickleball match or this book club? Who needs a listening ear? Who can I pray for? How can I cultivate gratitude in this activity? I mean, what, what a life-changing question. Whatever you do, Paul says, do it for the glory of God. So let's discover what that looks like. Let's, let's explore what does that look like in our eating and drinking, whatever we do. How do we bring God glory? Paul concludes this whole passage in chapter 11, verse 1. Follow my example as I followed the example of Christ. And this raises one final question to help us walk in wisdom. Are the people I'm following pointing me to Jesus? Are the people I'm following 
pointing me to Jesus? This is a question that has a huge relevance in our social media-driven culture filled with YouTube, Instagram, TikTok influencers, right? Who are we following? Whose voices are we listening to? Whose perspective are we allowing to influence us? Paul says to the Corinthians, follow me as I follow Christ. See, there's the criteria Paul's using. Are we following people who are passionately following Jesus and helping fuel joy and faith and love in our hearts? I mean, just a thought, could it be that we are fearful, sad, or angry because we're listening to people who are fearful, sad, or angry? Who are we allowing to influence us? I mean, the reality is we are all being shaped by something. There is no like middle ground. Oh no, I'm not being influenced for, you know, no, (laughs) there is no middle ground. There's no passive middle ground in terms of our spiritual lives. We are headed in one direction or the other. Towards Jesus, we're headed in one direction or the other, depending upon what we're choosing to open our minds and our hearts to. So who are we following? What voices are we listening to? And what impact are they having in our relationship with God and our ability to walk in wisdom? Okay, so Paul has given us these five really practical and and powerful questions to help us evaluate our lives, help us walk in wisdom. So I was was thinking, okay, how would I apply this to my own life in an area of my own life? And and, um, I I, I immediately thought of this this thing, uh, my phone. And we all know the stats, right? I mean, the average person looks at their phone 150 times a day. Average person spends four hours on their phone. So this thing is a huge part of most of our lives, including mine. And so what if I use this criteria to evaluate this area in my life? It's not about guilt or shame. This is about me being wise, right? So is how I'm using this phone helpful to me personally. There are apps that I look at multiple times a day. I'm wondering, are they beneficial to me? Are they feeding my soul? There have been times in my life when this phone has been a portal to demonic influences through pornography. And I've had to repent and put up guardrails. I heard someone recently say, with my smartphone, I am one click away from stupid. I am one click away from opening my life to demonic, destructive things. Is the way I'm using my phone loving? Sometimes I find myself looking at my phone when I'm hanging out with my family. And I wonder how loving, I actually know the answer to this, how loving that feels to them. They're talking and I'm looking at this. And I also wonder what joys I've missed in those moments by being more focused on an ESPN football score. Is the way I'm using this phone, is it bringing glory to God? I mean, I wonder what would it look like to leverage my phone to help me be more aware of God's presence? Maybe a reminder to pray. A friend of mine, at 10.02, his phone, a phone alarm goes off and he prays Luke 10 verse 2, which is about ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. So he stops every day, uses his phone to remind him to stop in that moment and to pray for laborers, for the harvest. I was playing golf. We were like on hole seven. His alarm goes off and he starts praying. It was one of those, wow, that's interesting. Okay. Um, but uh, are, are the, uh, you know, 
are, are we leveraging this in terms of the, the, maybe a worship song we could listen to or maybe a reminder to stand up and go outside and take a walk for five minutes and just express gratitude to God? Finally, who am I following and letting speak into my life with this phone? Are the podcasts, the people that I listen to, are they pointing me to a deeper love for Jesus and a greater joy and trust in him? Or are they stoking fear or anger in me? I mean, th this device is having a huge impact on me. The question is, what kind of impact? See, I, I am so thankful for Paul's words in this section of scripture and the opportunity they provide to evaluate and take ownership of how I'm spending my time and what I'm allowing to influence me and the kind of man and husband and dad that I long to be. And to me, that, that, that's what's so cool about this passage. It is a fresh reminder that every one of us has the power to choose how we're going to live and to choose the kind of person we're becoming. What a gift Jesus gives us. The freedom to choose his wisdom and to find life as a result. What a gift. Amen. All right, well, let's, um, let's respond to this. Why don't we, if you're able to stand, let's stand. And we're going enter, to enter a few minutes here where we're, we're just going to open our hearts to the Holy Spirit to see what he might be wanting to say to us in response to his word. So we like to do this around here with a simple, ancient prayer. Believers in Jesus have been praying for centuries. It's this prayer, come Holy Spirit. And we like to close our eyes and enter into the stillness. If, you're, if you want your hands open, palms up, that's a posture of receptivity. If you're comfortable doing that, feel free to do that. And I'm going to pray this prayer in just a moment, and I want to encourage you. This is, this is just about opening our hearts and our minds to say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me from your word? Maybe there's a, an activity he's been highlighting for the past few minutes that he wants you to pass through part of this filter. Maybe he wants you to evaluate something. So let's just see what the Holy Spirit wants to say. So Holy Spirit, we open our lives to you right now. Holy Spirit, come and speak to us and move in us.
just invite you to say yes to what the Holy Spirit is saying and stirring in you. Just continuing in the attitude of prayer, I had a couple thoughts just come to my mind. I hadn't thought about this until right now as we were waiting. One, I feel like the Lord reminded me that wisdom in the book of Proverbs is personified as a, a person. And I, I just, I believe Jesus may want to remind some of us that this isn't about the five questions per se. They help us, but ultimately it's about following the person of Jesus who is wisdom. And there's something very personal and intimate as we're asking these questions. Jesus, what are you saying to us? Holy Spirit, what are you saying? There's, it's an invitation to walk in wisdom. And the other picture I, was, I thought of was Matthew 7, where Jesus says, a wise person puts into practice what I'm saying and build, they build their house on the rock so that when storms come, they're unshakable. And God, I wanna just pray into that. I believe our yeses to your wisdom are about being strengthened in the midst of a society that is kind of going crazy, that we can build our lives on you by walking in wisdom. And so I just wanna pray into that for every person, that you would continue to help us build strength in our lives and resilience in our lives by following the way of wisdom. Continue to show us what that way is. So we're gonna continue to worship. And as we worship, we wanna and respond. We wanna open our hearts to the spirit of God and whatever he's doing. And so if you feel like at some point you want to sit down and you just feel like he's pouring into you or he's doing something in your heart, I encourage you to do that or feel free to stand. If you feel like there's something happening where you would like someone to maybe come alongside and pray with you while we're singing, feel free to just come up here. Just worship. This is just ministry space. Just come up and stand. We have a prayer team. I'll be available as well. And we'll just come alongside. We're just going to bless what God's doing. And if he if we feel like he lays anything on our heart for you, we'll just share that with you and pray into that. We just want to partner with whatever God's doing in you. So Holy Spirit, again, we welcome you to come in this space and to move. We open our hearts to more of you and all that you want to do in us. Pour out love, pour out wisdom, pour out healing and life as we open our hearts to you in worship. Thank you. All right, so if anything from the sermon today has inspired you, captivated you, challenged you, or brought you to a place that you're like, oh my gosh, it would be great to talk about this or have someone pray for me, uh, that, that there's a button on cccgreeley.org. You pop up the page, there's a button down the bottom, press that button, there's someone on the other side who is very eager to talk to you or pray for you, and it'll be great. So. <laughs> Go ahead and do that.